to hour two. It is a delight to bring uh, bring on not only uh, a great um, a great hero, but a great expert in uh, national security, and that is Kash Patel, former chief of staff to the United States Secretary of Defense under Donald Trump. Of course, also at the National Security Council under Donald Trump. Really, probably the man more responsible than any other for revealing the shenanigans of the FBI and the uh, election of 2016. Mr. Patel, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Seth, thanks so much for having me, but you got to call me Cash or I'm going to hang up. <laughs> All right. I'm Seth and you're Cash. It sounds like it could be a uh, country duo. but uh, I'm in. <laughs> I am, too. I am, too. It'll be an interesting one. Cash, I want to talk to you about the reason you're in Arizona on behalf of uh, a candidate. You and I are both supporting Abe Hamaday. But before we get there... Before we get there, uh, I wanted to bring um, bring uh, the audience your thoughts on the breaking news, which is that um, it turns out, uh, thanks to a CIA intel operation, we have taken out Ayman al-Zawahiri, uh, often known in the heyday as the number two of al-Qaeda, maybe even really responsible more than anyone else for al-Qaeda, having been so active in sev- so many movements in the years leading up to it and being such a teacher of uh, Osama bin Laden's. But your first thoughts on uh, on the end of his sharing the earth with us, sir. Yeah, first and foremost, as a counterterrorism guy, as, a, as the head of counterterrorism for President Trump at the White House, and, you know, having been with the president in the Situation Room when we take out, when we took out al-Baghdadi and some of the other guys, this is a win for America and the world. And, you know, the, even this administration should be applauded for having the audacity to pull the trigger and take that guy out. Ayman al-Zawahiri started al-Qaeda. He was Osama bin Laden's teacher, and he took over al-Qaeda again in the reins when we took out Osama bin Laden. Al-Qaeda has been and will always be an evil, corrupt terrorist organization who wishes to do Americans harm. So when you can exact, uh, and this is vengeance, exact vengeance, um, out on a man who created a terrorist organization that's killed thousands of Americans, that's a good day. Um, and I'm glad we did it. And it, our intelligence community, our military should be applauded. Because these types of operations are not easy, having run them, having been a part of them um, at the highest levels and the operational levels. This is a great, great win that literally, apolitically, everybody should be celebrating it. And I hope we do. Amen to all of that. Does it does it give you a callback, though, of some concern in what we left behind and the way we left behind in Afghanistan. Uh, not, I mean, it's a little odd to me that this man is in the capital city, Kabul. Joe Biden guaranteed us there was no al-Qaeda in Afghanistan anymore. <laughs> that will be a story that will need to be revealed over time somehow, I'm guessing. Yeah, look, I mean, having been all over Afghanistan and, you know, having run President Trump's successful withdrawal of Afghanistan because we did it in a phase-stepped process based on intelligence, um, you know, when a, our commander in chief, then Joe Biden comes in and says there's no Al Qaeda in Afghanistan, it's literally almost as if he's just putting out a false puppet headline. Yeah. Because there's no intelligence to support that. And I, you don't need access to classified information to know that. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly right. Uh, exactly right. We've been forced to swallow a lot of lies and a lot of lies that are going to cost us for days and months and, and years ongoing. But yes, today is a good day uh, on that front. It's, it's a good day also to have you uh, in Arizona talking on behalf of uh, my candidate for attorney general, Abraham Hamaday. He's been endorsed by practically, as far as I can tell, the enti- entire national security team of the Donald <laughs> Trump administration, including Donald Trump, of course, Rick Grinnell. Robert C. O'Brien, Chris Miller, and of course you, Cash. Tell us why you like Abe as much as I do. I think we just cut out. Yeah, let me have you start over. We just cut. There was a little glitch in the in the cell line there. If I was just asking if you could tell us as much about how much how much you like Abe and why you're supporting him. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Abe, like myself, is a former prosecutor who's tried some serious criminal cases and who also uh, deployed in the United States military overseas. I have an immense respect for anyone that does that. But as a state cop and law enforcement officer, you really need to have a grasp on how to prosecute cases. And you also have to have a grasp on what threats there are today in America, especially in Arizona. And Abe understands that the number one threat to this border state is the narco-trafficking cartels in Mexico. And his appetite to go on the offensive and take them head-on since this federal government won't is one of the star reasons I'm endorsing Abe and have endorsed Abe Hamada. I think he's going to do a fantastic job. He's going to take the fight into Mexico against these cartels and call them terrorists because that's a version of exactly what they are. And that's the only way we're going to be able to take them out because we know the federal government under this administration is wholly lacking on any offensive to shut down the opioid trade, especially in border states, let alone any sort of border wall security efforts. Yeah, this is really one of the ongoing confusions to me about the current administration, or maybe the Democratic Party writ large, Cash. Maybe you can help me try and figure this out. But, you know, this 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 open border that 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 we are we are all suffering through, of course, is a crime issue. And of course, it's a sovereignty issue. And of course, it's a national security issue when we look at the uh, not uh, uh, at the at the non-Mexicans who who come through the border as well. But it's now become a public health issue with regard Mm -hmm. to exactly what you're talking about. I mean, say what you want about about the overreaction uh, of this country, perhaps to COVID, but that was a disease that took out mostly the old and infirm. We now are seeing a flood of deaths occurring in the younger population from the lack of what we're able to do, or at, I shouldn't say able to do, the lack of will to do what we need to do at the border. Of all the problems, it has now become also a public health problem, hasn't it? Well, that's absolutely right, because you can only apply so much public health components in America to so many people. And when you take away the efforts to apply to our citizenry, who should come first, and you start giving it to illegal aliens who have come across by breaking federal law, and then you start a process by which they are taking care of ahead of Americans, I think that's drastically unfair and also unlawful. But they're doing so because now they want to give them voter ID cards and send them around the country and bus them around and fly them around to places where they'll vote illegally because they know they've duped them into believing that the Democratic radical left agenda is superior to theirs, uh, superior to ours on the conservative side. But the reality is they're only buying fake votes. They'll never really care about these people. They'll use them to get the bill and the vote, and then they'll discard them. And that's the reality of what the Democrats have done with immigrants for generations coming over um, to America. 
you've seen a dynamic shift in first and second generation Americans that shows that, that they have gone and left the Democratic Party because they thought that was their party, their champion party, but they've realized policies like President Trump exacted are actually more favorable to lawful immigration and the American dream. And, um, you know, Abe and I are living proof of that, literally, two first-generation American kids, minorities, uh, making our way in the United States government infrastructure, and and I'm so happy that he's going to be the next attorney general here in Arizona. Yeah, his commitment is 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 as is as strong as anything I have ever seen. And what I love too about his commitment is the way he has addressed it, not only <clears throat> to the enforcement of the rule of law, but the enforcement of the first part of the rule of law, which is exactly how you become an American in the first place. And even if your interests are not to become an American and you are coming through the border illegally, what is it you're bringing? You're bringing death. You know, this Arizona border situation is not confined to Arizona because of the lack of the border present, uh, lack of the border security cash. We have now yep. fueled. We have become the drug transport hub and fuel of fentanyl throughout the United States. Now the leading yep. cause of death for young people. This is another mm-hmm. reason it's a public health issue. You're absolutely right. You know, I've been saying for the last year when I've been going around the country for America First candidates that, you know, you will not have my attention if you do not focus on sealing the southern border, not just because of the uh, illegal aliens coming in, conducting criminality in our in our states, but because of the Chinese fentanyl opioid crisis that's killed 100,000 youth in the last year alone. The federal government under Joe Biden does not seem to care. They don't think this is a national crisis. They don't believe it's a national public health crisis. It's both things. And when it becomes both things, you're allowed to utilize different pots of money and different operational procedures to go out and deploy against them if you so choose to do so. But this this government is not doing that. And that's why you need a strong leader in your attorney general on the ground here in Arizona to do what the federal government's failing to do and to go seal that border. And it won't just benefit Arizona. That's why I think Abe sees the mission for what it is. It's, it's a national mission. Arizona is on the front line of that public health national security disaster on the border. And we haven't even talked about the human smuggling component that's of this, right. which is ruining right. so many people's lives. That's right. And that's just another thing that needs to be solved that our federal government isn't solving. So you need a guy like Abe to do it, and I, I fully believe he's going to do it here in Arizona. I do, too. For those that want to help him out or learn more about him, if you don't know enough already, Abe for AG.com, Abe, F-O-R-A-G.com. Cash Patel, it's lovely to be on your side. More importantly, I'm glad we're not on opposite sides. Bless you, sir, and thank you for your help. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Check you out bet. Cash.com. You betcha. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. If you'd like to join the discussion, portions of this show are brought to you by the great people at Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. They are great people. I've used them a bunch myself, as have a lot of my friends, and they all say the same thing. That's the company they're going to stay with and continue using if ever needs require it again. For any of your air conditioning needs right now, Cool Touch is available 24-7 because they know problems don't just happen from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. Customer service is tremendous. They will say what they, they will tell you what they're going to do and they will do what they're going to tell what they tell you they'll do. They are just great people. Can't say enough about them. Check them out at cooltouch.us 
or give them a call at 623-748-4942. There's probably uh, always a good time and a good reason to read more Abraham Lincoln. And I don't know if I ever don't have a Lincoln book or series of essays about somewhere uh, on my reading list and on my um, on my uh, bed uh, bedside uh, book desk. I've been going through recently a lot of what uh, what what was what what brought us the notion of 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 a house divided. Of course, he puts it in his Cooper Union speech directly that way based on, uh, obviously, the uh, biblical uh, description as well. Our country is a house divided. And you think about the things we're facing, the kinds of things that Cash Patel was just talking to us about. Uh, you think about, oh, the whole issue of crime in America generally and the way it's been politicized, just as the way it's been prosecuted and not prosecuted. And it is as if we are a house divided. We have people who are technically, we have people who are technically considered or consider themselves prosecutors. They run for the office of prosecution or the office of prosecutor if they're running for a district attorney sometimes or an attorney general or some other law enforcement position. But really what they're trying to to do is change the entire justice system and turn it on its head, which is resultant in things like San Francisco, which is resultant in things like Los Angeles, which is resultant in things like Chicago, which is resultant in things like all our major cities and the massive rise in violent crime that we have seen throughout the country. Prosecutors in name only. Maybe that should be a phrase we use. I like it a little bit more than rhino, pino, prosecutors in name only. This will be settled one way or the other, as Lincoln said in his House Divided speech. This will be decided one way or another. People will say they've had enough or people will say, yes, sir, please hit me again. May I have another and I don't think it's going to be the second way. I don't think people want to continue to be tyrannized and live unsafely or in fear or in apprehension of fear in their communities. I just don't think that's the natural condition. Now, some cities have been so carved out that that has become the new norm. Some places have become so immiserated that that has become the new conventional wisdom and the way of doing things on a workaday basis. And it is a tragedy and it is a shame and it will not stay there. Like an ink stain on a white shirt, it will expand, except with far worse consequences. Chicago might be ground zero. I have to read you one of the saddest and most plaintive uh, essays I have read in a long time. It is from a career prosecutor in Chicago, Jim Murphy, Cook County State Attorney's Office. Cook County is the main county housing Chicago. And how he had to resign from that office. He said, it's beyond difficult to say goodbye to an office that I truly love. 
to all of my colleagues and friends and the ASAs I've worked with over the years and to those I've supervised, to all of the support staff who have stood with me throughout the years. And then he goes through a bunch of names and people that he has worked with and things that he has accomplished as a prosecutor in Cook County. And then says, I wish I could stay. I would love to continue to fight for the victims of crime and to continue to stand with each of you, especially in the face of the overwhelming crime that is crippling our communities. However, I can no longer work for this administration. I have zero confidence in their leadership. I'm going to look elsewhere for opportunities to make a difference. And then he gives us the reasons. He says, I've been thinking about leaving for a while now. And the thoughts began back in January of 2021 when the Safety Act was passed. Seeing this administration's involvement in that process was an eye-opening experience to me. To be clear, I am in support of eliminating cash bail. No person should sit in jail solely because they can't afford to pay bail. By the way, I'm not in support of it, but we're reading his essay, not mine. But I never understood the rush on an issue that was so important. I voiced my concerns at the time, and it was in that process that I began to realize that the administration's mission, vision, and values was just a PR stunt, just words on a page. Fairness, accountability, integrity, respect, collaboration, those words should mean something. They do to me, and I know that they do to you as well. Yet time after time, this administration has shown that they don't live the meaning of those words or they don't care. Integrity matters, he writes. Integrity matters, and I am proud that I am leaving with mine intact, he writes. As young assistant state attorneys, we are taught that the job of a prosecutor is to seek justice, not merely conviction. And that is what I have strived to do in all of the cases, and I know it is what each of you do on a daily basis, as he's addressing it to his colleagues in the state's attorney's office. We do this in spite of the many obstacles that have been placed in front of us. Staffing levels are at an all-time low and have been at some time. All of the units and bureaus have been operating at dangerously low levels. Two-person courtrooms and one-person courtrooms are the norm. And this has been going on for some time, but getting worse by the day. This administration routinely claims that they have shifted their focus from prosecuting low-level crime so that they can focus their resources on fighting violent crime and drivers of violence. This is simply not true. If the administration was truly concerned with effectively fighting violent crime, then they would staff the courtrooms and the units, not create more useless policy positions on the executive staff at the expense of hiring more assistant attorneys who can work in the trenches. Meanwhile, those in the trenches are overworked, overstressed, and under-resourced. They simply don't care about the state's attorneys on the front lines. I will tell you a bit more when we come right back, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-5080-960, talking about the resignation uh, from Kim Fox's office of this uh, fine prosecutor in um, in Chicago, Cook County State's Attorney's Office. Um, you have to understand just the most basic level of sociology or even life or even life 
to know that this attitude that the Kim Foxes of the world and the Gascones of the world are promulgating as a prosecutorial um, as a prosecutorial, prosecutorial modus operandi that will ignore the little crimes and um, and, 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 and do so because we really want to go after the violent ones. Does anyone stop and take a step back and say, how's that been working out for you? I mean, it's, it's almost laughable. It's almost risible that we can look at certain communities, and Gascon is perhaps the latest inventor of this, but certainly we've, uh, it's been flowing outward uh, centrifugally from San Francisco. We can laugh at this. Oh, look. We have fewer felonies. Well, how do we have fewer felonies? Because we've redefined them downward. We have redefined felonies downward. Thus, we have fewer of them. doesn't mean you have fewer crime. It doesn't mean you have less crime. It doesn't mean you have less of what constituted the felony a year ago. It means you're not charging it as a felony anymore and perhaps not even arresting the person engaging in it anymore. That's not giving you less crime. That's rewarding and thus building more crime. And this infection of the mind is so strong that even today there is no shame about it. George Soros, who has funded most of these prosecutors who have been elected into office, your Kim Foxes of the world, George Soros today has an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, why I support reform prosecutors. And, of course, it's about all the things that are simply and provably wrong. It's also a lot about race, as you can imagine, but only from one perspective. And the language in all this is what matters perhaps more than anything. You know, it trickles off, it trips off the tongue some of the phraseology the left has foisted on us, and we're speaking it and we use it without any thought whatsoever as if it's just become conventional wisdom because dangerously it has. What was the old joke about someone who was speaking prose and didn't even know it? We do that in the language of criminal justice or criminal justice reform. Think about the phrase for a moment, mass incarceration. Any debate or discussion on criminal justice reform will use liberally the phrase mass incarceration as George Soros does, as he uses it as his calling card. This is what he wants to get rid of. What a shame that the United States has become such an institution, such a country of mass incarceration. Does anyone ever stop and look at the data? Does anyone take the time to examine what just that most innocuous of sounding phrases constitutes? Well, please do. And and please do when they talk about drug crimes. Be very careful when reading stories about people who are in prison for drugs. Were they arrested merely for drug use? Are they in prison merely for drug use? I will tell you that the state prisons or the county jails do not have people simply in jail or prison for drug use. It's about drug sales. It's about drug trafficking. And if the only thing on their card is drug use, it's because they pled down to it from a greater or stronger crime. But go back for a moment to this mass incarceration. Less than one half of 1% of the U.S. population is incarcerated. Can I repeat that? Less than one half 
of 1% of the U.S. population is incarcerated. How is that in any dictionary possibly considered mass? How are we a country of mass incarceration with less than one half of a percent? If you had a pie chart of the American people, you could not find the incarcerated sliver or slice on that pie chart. Let's examine some of the language, because as you know, as Emerson taught us, the fall of man is preceded by the fall of language. And this, George Soros and his prosecutors know to a fare thee well. So, too, should we. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. For those of you looking for a unique investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y Refi. What they are offering is a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm where the investors do really well by doing good for others, helping others pay off their debts and doing so with dignity. As I say, they do well by doing good, and you can too. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R E F Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. They're a local company. You can visit them here. You won't get a sales pitch. They're happy to talk about what they do and just let that speak for itself. Again, investyrefi.com. Now, one of the things I'm looking forward to once we get past uh, the primaries tomorrow is really socking it for the general election really socking it to the other side because this house divided we are in is going to be solved one way or the other. I was talking about it when it comes to the issue of crime or criminal justice reform. Think about any number of issues, immigration, judges, the judiciary, taxes, the economy, energy. It's going to go one way or the other. The divisions have never been, the cleavages have never been this evident, this apparent, and this stark. And it's clear beyond peradventure where the Democratic Party is and where it's going. It's pretty clear to me where the Republican Party is and where it's going. The marginalia of differing opinions within the Republican primary candidates is for the most part a very small thing, a very small thing in how most of these candidates once in office will vote it's or support policies a certain way or 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 in a certain manner what's different is their experience what's different is their ability what's different is how well they will do in a general election how well they will do in explaining what they are doing how well they will do in management of their office when they achieve it whether it's at a representative level or whether it's at an executive level That's, for the most part, the difference. And on the Democratic side, it's equally really the same thing. It is a race to see who can sound the most progressive. And they're not making any bones about it on their side either. Nancy Pelosi's daily, sometimes more than daily emails, fundraising emails that I receive, say plainly and clearly that they are a progressive 
movement. The administration is telling you, not anymore with signals and semaphores and winks and nods. They are using the language throughout, whether it's at the Department of Transportation, whether it's at the Department of Treasury, whether it's at the Department of Energy, whether it's at the Defense Department. They are using the language of the woke. They are using the language of the progressive left. And they are doing everything they can in the Democratic Party to rely on the progressive left. Save them in this election. How? Save them how? By motivating enough of the young and the enthused to help turn around what looks to be, if we don't blow it, like a certain Republican wave election. What's interesting to me now is that the one thing the Democratic Party could do to try and soothe and ease concerns of Americans or to try and soothe and ease concerns of disaffected Democrats or to try and soothe and ease concerns of independents is they could be doing a few things on the economy that show that they are not in the grip of Marxist idea fix, that they are not in the grip of, fun- grip of fundamentally transforming not just the economy in this country. Those are amorphous things to say that are easy to put in a speech, transforming the economy, transitioning uh, our sources of power, transforming the country. That's shocking enough, but that shock happened in 2008. That shock isn't fresh anymore. So they're using the language in all of the departments that, you never used to see before. They're not hiding it. They're telling the truth. And they could, they could be doing things with this economy. The friends at Issues and Insights point out that that's not their interest, which shows you how powerful that grip of Marxist progressivism is. If Democrat lawmakers had to comply with federal truth and advertising laws, they'd all be up on charges for the blatantly false name given to the Inflation Reduction Act, the editors at Issues and Insights report. President Joe Biden claimed last week, quote, this bill will, in fact, reduce inflationary pressure on the economy, close quote. In fact, it won't, and it was never meant to. You can check out the scoring and examination done by the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, the conclusion of which is, quote, the impact on inflation is statistically indistinguishable from zero. And worse, quote, the act would slightly increase inflation until 2024, until 2024. In other words, it would add inflationary pressure today when inflation is already running red hot riot draining worker wages, causing pain and suffering across the land. Who cares what it does years from now when unless Biden really screws things up, inflation should be back to normal anyway. You don't have to look very hard to see why the bill's inflation fighting claims are pure bunk. Deficits on paper. The bill will reduce the federal deficit by more than $300 billion over the next decade. That's what they tell you. That's supposed to be inflation fighting. But while $300 billion in deficit reduction might sound like a big number, it amounts to less than 2% of the $15.7 trillion in projected deficits over that same span of years, which means it's more like a rounding error than actual deficit reduction. Worse, 
The bill front loads $485 billion in new spending and subsidies, while the tax hikes and other deficit cutting measures take time to kick in. As a result, it would increase deficits in the near term and start cutting them not until 2027, according to the National Taxpayer Unions Foundation. As anyone who follows Congress makes spending and, and how they make spending and tax decisions knows, it's only the near term that counts because nothing is ever set in stone. They're talking about drug costs. Biden says the bill will fight inflation by lowering drug costs. How? By letting Medicare negotiate with drug makers over the price it will pay for prescription medicine. In other words, Medicare will impose price controls on pharmaceuticals. But these price controls won't kick in anytime soon. Medicare first has to write the rules, which can take months, if not years. That means seniors won't see any difference in their drug costs in the near future, if ever. And because the savings to Medicare will finance the new spending elsewhere, neither will the taxpayers see any savings soon either. either. Be right back. Portions of the show brought to you by the good people of Balance of Nature. They are good people who make a great product, best product I've ever taken, a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables. You just take it once a day. You can always take more if you think you need more or want more if you're burning the candle at both ends because you can't overdose on fruits and vegetables, and that's what it is, 100% pure fruits and vegetables from the capsule to the ingredients. Boost your energy, boost your immunity, boost your health with pure, potent plant power equivalent of 10 servings of fruits and vegetables in one daily dose balance of nature.com make sure to use discount code balance let me just finish off uh, the point the folks at issues and insights were making about this uh, inflation this misnamed inflation fighting bill think about the tax incentives part of this the tax incentives to spend joe biden has been bragging that the legislation quote brings down family energy bills by hundreds of dollars by providing working families tax credits he says it gives folks rebates to buy new and efficient appliances to weatherize their homes and tax credits for heat pumps and rooftop solar close quote so what does that tell you if you cut through all that jargon? It's encouraging more spending is what it tells you. And you ask, in what textbook does encouraging more spending reduce inflation? No, it adds fuel to the inflationary fire. Tax hikes on businesses. The plan would also boost business taxes by $315 billion by imposing a 15% corporate minimum tax. Piling new costs on companies in the case, in this case, higher taxes, is not a recipe for bringing down the costs of goods and services, at least not on planet Earth. The bill also hopes to get another $125 billion in taxes by hiring a new army of IRS auditors. And again, this reduces inflation. How? How? expanding the government. One analysis by the Heritage Foundation concluded that, quote, if enacted into law, this bill would exacerbate the economic crisis and lead to a longer and much more painful stagflation, close quote. Um, you look at the record of Joe Biden being able to guarantee you everything he's promised, and I challenge you in the audience to deliver me 
one piece of evidence. One, on anything he promised from getting rid of COVID to making sure al-Qaeda would not be in Afghanistan to our economy today. Make America better. Make America kinder. Make America less divisive. Or make America worse. We've got a lot more coming right up. Some great ladies joining the show. Don't go away. We'll be right back.